welcome to Hobbs and Friends. <laughs> I am Jason Hobbs, your host, and today I have a guest. If you guys are still listening to Hobbs and Friends, I appreciate it. I guess like every other show, I have a guest, but only one this time. But he is large enough in the industry, not in size, easy buddy, that uh, <laughs> he'll make up for only having one guest. He's none other than the author and owner and head creator of Planet X Games. He has stuff like phylactery, magic and shit, and lately, big eye chungus. He is Levi Combs. Hey, Levi. Hello, everyone. <laughs> it's great to be here, man. Was that a better introduction or too much? Oh, wonderful. All right, good, good. I appreciate that. All right, my man. So, uh, yeah, why don't you, can you start by telling me what Planet X Games, like, just like a quick boilerplate of Planet X Games? Yeah, no, it's just a way, you know, it's an indie game company. Yeah, I started it almost five years ago with a couple of friends who could, you know, who could do all the things that I couldn't do. We do fanzines, we do. Adventure modules, we do stuff for Dungeons and Dragons, we do stuff for DCC, MCC, and the OSR. Oh, perfect, man. That's awesome. So I put on here, how do we know each other? And I think <laughs> I think we met at North Texas. I think, I don't know if it was North Texas, because you weren't on Google Plus, were you? I wasn't. I came a little too late for the Google Plus crowd, unfortunately. I thought so. And maybe I, maybe I met you on Twitter, though. I, I don't know. Do you know? So the first time we met was at was at was at North Texas, but I had already I already knew about your show, okay. I'd already seen your show, and I think we have a lot of mutual friends. So you know you were kind of an automatic follow on Twitter, and then you know I, you never had anything bad to say. It was always pretty a pretty positive attitude, which is like kind of what I like to surround myself with on social media. So yeah, I think that's just how it kind of fell out. I appreciate that, man. I like to be a positive force. In the gaming industry, I'm making fun of somebody right now, but it's true. I really do like to be a positive force, but using that exact terminology probably was a, a reference to Sean P. Kelly because that's what he has in his basement. All right. So anyhow, I appreciate that. And you too are a great positive force. All right. So why don't we talk? I don't talk about, I don't talk usually about like our gaming histories. I, but I do like to talk about what we've been doing in gaming. Do you have, I do my weekly, it's not really weekly, but like if this show was more than once every six months, don't do six months worth of gaming. But like, have you played anything in the last week or so? I haven't played anything. I've written some stuff. I've sent some stuff off for play test, but no, I haven't actually played it. You know, I, that's not true. I have been playing Legend of Zelda on the the old Nintendo entertainment mm. system, the, the, the first gen. Yeah. Uh, my six-year-old son, he's uh, he is fascinated with with the graphics on on Legend of Zelda, how how simple they are. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Are you creating a new eight-bit? graphic fan because that's 8-bit right 8-bit right yeah oh yeah no we just we have one of those little like well here, here's actually one right here i don't know if you can see it but it's like one of those little nintendo yeah. emulators we have another one in the in the living room and it's got legend of zelda on it so that was always my favorite game in the 80s that and rygar um so it was just kind of natural for me to pick that back up. I was like, I don't remember anything. I'm not going to know where any of this stuff is, which was completely false. I remembered almost everything. And just navigating around the whole map, no problem. Yeah. And we finished the game. Uh, we finished the game today about four days after playing it. Wow. And how yeah. long did you play it for the first time? 
Oh, months. Yeah. I'm gonna say four <laughs> years. I don't know. I don't know if I ever finished it to be honest. Yeah, yeah, but you know. It, it is what it is. But he, he had a good time. Like, Dad, go here. You know, oh, go in that door. Fight those guys. And, you know, if it got, you know, if the, if the hearts were blinking, it was too low on health. He was you know, flipping out and running, running around the room. <laughs> he mm-hmm. had a good time. It was fun. It was nostalgic. So I thought the coolest, one of the coolest aspects of that game was always when you were at full health, you could, like, shoot your sword farther and it, like, blew up. Is that right or oh, am yeah. I wrong? Yeah. I thought no, that was absolutely just, right. It's like, they already they already had the death spiral mechanic in there because like yeah. you know like in some game in my in some RPG games you have this death spiral where your things happen to you and you get worse and worse and worse until you die. Mm-hmm. I don't really, I personally I don't prefer that type of game, but it's interesting that they did it in that. Rygar has that too, doesn't it? Doesn't it have something like when you're at full health you do can do something, but not when you're hurt. Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, I haven't played Brygar in, in forever. I think you can, uh, something to do with your chain. I think your chain goes farther. Yes. Or something. Um, oh. I don't remember. See? But uh, yeah, those are my two my two favorite games. And of course, fantasy adventuring games. So, of course, they are my favorites, you know. I, I was looking to see if I had still this zine up here because, you know, art is theft after all. <laughs> But your art steal this zine is a little different idea. Maybe, maybe. Well, why don't we talk about it? What? Why don't you sure. tell the everyone? Because I don't know if people who listen to the show already know who you are or not. But it would be steal this zine. What was the idea behind it? And tell me about it. So there's, you know, Abby Hoffman wrote a book, you know, steal this book, yeah, <laughs> yeah, back in the the '60s, a counterculture book, and uh, steal this zine is just kind of a riff off of that. You know, they're, they're not, not for sale. sale. You can't buy them anywhere. You know, I'm not going to give you, I mean, you, like, I'm not even going to give you one. You have to steal it. Now, that might be like, I might lay it down on the table and walk away if, you know, if whatever. But most of the time, you have to steal it from me in order to get it. So I leave a couple copies out on the table. And if you can distract me and grab it off the table at a con, it's all yours. But someone else can steal it from you. And I wholeheartedly support them stealing that zine from me because there's only, we only made 50. Yeah, there's only about 30 out in the wild now. There's five that I sent to a guy in Sweden. So those are those are over there. The guy who did the map, Carl Sternberg, Skull Fungus on, yeah, on social media. So he's got a couple copies. But other than that, like, you know, there's not very many of them out there. And it's like a fully produced zine when you open it yes. up. Like, oh, no, yeah, it's, it's good. It's a whole hex crawl with art and, you know, descriptions and stats. And, you know, it's not it's not just something that I threw together. I mean, I probably could have read a Kickstarter on that, actually. But instead, I wanted to do this this basically free zine, but you had you had to steal it. That was <laughs> that's the whole thing. Now, looking back, I probably would have... The, the, the whole idea was, was to steal it. I probably would have made steal this zine just all about thieves or rogues of some sort. That's probably would have been the theme that I would have went with. But I had this great idea for a hex crawl and this great piece of art, and I thought, well, let's put this together and, and roll it out. So... There'll be two at PAX tomorrow, or sorry, this uh, the next this next week, mm. this weekend at, at PAX Unlimited, and then there'll be a couple at TotalCon. There'll be a couple at GaryCon, and then the rest will go to North Texas. So, if you haven't, if you don't have one, come steal it. <laughs> yeah, everybody, you heard it, and you can't have mine. Maybe you can. Maybe I'll. Yeah. I'll <laughs> You'd have to come into my house because it's behind <laughs> these, I think. <laughs> but by um, all means, if you see if you see a copy, you know, make your pickpockets roll and and <laughs> steal it from your friend. <laughs> all right, so I obviously got sidetracked there. It's been a while since I did this, you guys. So 
so you're you're not playing nor running anything. You don't have a campaign that you're running for people or anything like that. No, we just moved. So I just again just we have moved into a new area. So I don't have a local a local group right now. I, I, not not this week, but in the past uh, couple weeks, I've uh, done a couple pickup games online. There's been a, some DCC stuff, and uh, I missed out on Bob Brinkman's uh, Bob Beast game, which just just from a scheduling conflict it sucked. I really wanted to be in that, but yeah, just as soon as I get my roots in here and get uh, get my feet dug in, I'll I'll have a, I'll go down to the game store and we'll get some players. But, uh, well, online counts, man, because that's the majority of what I do. If I'm not at a convention, I'm pretty much only running or playing online, so that totally counts right. for me. And so that I have you here, I was going to try it. I've never actually played Planescape. And I think I heard you on this old dungeon say that that is like your favorite setting or something like that. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, in the one in the, of, I guess, whatever. No, in the, in the broad band of like all the old classic settings, it is my favorite for 100%. Like, I love Greyhawk. I love Forgotten Realms. I love, you know, Ravenloft, but Dark Sun too. But there's something special about Planescape. Like, I was just just telling somebody, somebody about this last night. Like, Planescape is a, it's like where, you have this great idea for it. Like they took the manual of planes and they're like, let's take this, this interesting book that is essentially wall of text kind of mm -hmm. stuff, you know, rules and let's give it life. Let's breathe life. And then you have Tony DiGiulisi's like beautiful ethereal art that just fills this book. And it's, and it's like the perfect meeting of Zeb Cook and, and Tony DiGiulisi to create this gorgeous box set that has all the personality in the world and all these little snippets of lore and all these, you know, they think a place like, you know, um, the abyss, you know, we all be sure we've all adventured there. We've written stuff for it or whatever, and they make it super interesting. You know, they've added all these cool little details and give all this backstory and history to these demon Lords. You know, they throw in the blood war. They, you know, they have all this cool stuff that they throw in there and they, but they do that for every single one of the of the you know major planes, and then you have Sigil. Sigil is this awesome city that sits on sits on top of the spire, and it's like it was basically a giant ring, and you could adventure just in Sigil and the spire and, and the Outlands. There, you could do that and never go to any of the outer planes. Like that is enough. Like that's enough to blow any of your players' minds alone. For sure. So it's just ripe. It's just ripe for adventures. Ripe for exploration. Fantastic locations. All new monsters, but it's the personality of of the of the product that really sets it kind of in rarefied air and sets it apart from other settings. You know that is awesome that you say that. What I think I'm going to do is set that slightly to the side, and then when we get to the topic, if we ever do, I think that actually fits in really strongly with some of the questions I had considering that sure. the topic that I wanted to talk about. So that's fascinating. What I was going to do is is trying to get you online to force you to run a, a Planescape <laughs> game for me of some sort at some point. That's what I was going to try and strong arm you into. But Maybe we should do it in North Texas. We'll just have a we'll have sit down, me you and David Beatty and a couple other folks. We'll just sit down and we'll, we'll do a crazy Sigil Outlands four-hour session. Oh man, that would be so sweet. I would let's do it, man. I'll get baited into that for sure. Who else is coming to North Texas? I don't know. We'll talk about that. Let's let's Yeah, why not? Let's do so, it. So 
what we're going to do is we're going to change this to a weekly thing and you and I will just get down here and talk shit online while everyone just listen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. So I should say what I've been playing. I have been playing Valley of the Manticore with some of my old crew that were my first online games from before geez, Roll20 even started. So back in the day before Roll20 was an online VTT called Tabletop Forge. And me and the guy who started that and this Brian Tackle, an art, the artist Craig Brasco and Elliot Moschel were all playing. We played the early, the One Ring, the first edition One Ring game. We played Fate. We played BX. But I mean, we played all sorts of stuff together. And then we kind of drifted apart. I think it was when I got, I don't know, I got mad about his burning wheel hack and said that it was like slower than molasses. Sometimes I can be a little extravagant in my descriptions. <laughs> I don't know. Brian got sick of it. and But then we all made up and now 15 or years later or something, we're playing old school essentials on Thursday nights in this Valley of the Manicore game. So oh, nice. super fun. I also am playing in an urban chromarium set Hyperborea 3E game, which is interesting i've been complaining about it to my buddies now for a little bit and i talk about it a little bit on random screed but we're playing hyperborea and we stream that here at the gamerhood so if anyone is listening to this and wants to see a hyperborea 3e actual play and then check that out and then i'm still running my legendary kalmata game once in a while that i don't know if you've ever heard it before levi <laughs> yeah well just on the you know, on the show so yeah we uh I think we're up to like session 75 that's been streamed or something like that. I ran it at Game Hole. I also ran it at North Texas. And uh, yeah, I would say the 80% mortality rate is, is pretty close. No, not that bad. It feels like it, but super fun. We use uh, OSE for that. And I played a whole bunch of, um, I played, we played Chainmail, Mordheim, and Raven's Feast, it's called. And Michael Curtis ran Lord of the Rings, The Last Battle of the Alliance. These were all war games. So some of them we played on a, a actual sand table. This is when I was in Lithicum, Lithicum that I was telling you about. Oh, right so I played a whole bunch of, and I'm not really a big war gamer, but we, I had a blast because I just dove into it finally. I would always just be complaining like, man, if this was an RPG, I could do this or this or this <laughs> instead of just playing, you know, this war game like it was meant to be, but it was a blast. So that's what I've been doing, man. And so the last introduction piece before we get to the main topic is uh, everything about you from the Ugly Kid Joe song. I hate everything about you. What, what's one thing that you about yourself that you haven't let the masses know on these other 35 podcasts that you've been on in the last week, Levi? <laughs> uh, that I hate about myself? No, just something no. about you. The hate about the hate part was a joke. It's really just everything about you. Well, I was going to say I, I actually have an answer for that. I wish I could write. I wish I could write less dense paragraphs. I'm actually working on it, but like I really like the OSC style. You know that that's not, that, a bullet very points. terse, yeah, bullet points. But you know, I, I'm trying to get away from writing three paragraphs when one when one paragraph will do. I think that's a rookie mistake that that you know that I'm just guilty of, um, and I'm I'm working on it. And this <clears throat> this latest adventure that that we put out this three curses for Sister Sarah. And I did I, I I did some contributing writing on that. It's actually Mike Mike Lee's baby. 
But uh, so I, I, I tried to do a lot of that, like where I said, okay, well, I've got three paragraphs here that's basically saying the same thing over and over. Let me just <laughs> knock it all down. One and then just be a little bit more loquacious in my descriptions. So it's just something I, I, I'm working on. Like when I go back and read like Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride, the very first one, I'm like, oh, here I am tripping all over myself and, you know, talking in third person and talking in first person. And, you know, it's a mess. Um, but, you know, you learn from that and you move on and, and things have gotten much better <laughs> since those days. But <clears throat> so to answer both those questions, something I haven't talked about and something I, I hate about myself. That's, oh, uh, nice. Well, that's, 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 that's cool. I mean, it's not the real dirt I was looking for, but I'll, I'll take it. I, I like the self uh, reflection. I'm all about that for sure. Um, Fair enough. But you know, I mean, that kind of goes in with the whole idea that RPG books, maybe historically, haven't really been that good of writing some of them i mean when you talk about the big ones very good writing like i think i don't know i i definitely like the tone and the aesthetic of planescape i've never played it in my life which is another reason i want you to but when we're talking about quality of writing i don't think there's a ton of i mean no one's going to say that the dmg is a great quality of writing right of first edition oh, no. No. but if Adventure-wise, if we could get better, and I think people are, I think it is becoming more of an art than simply oh, so. a use, right? It's not just a guide anymore. It's actually like an artifact that we, and I, I find that's a whole fascinating topic on its own, honestly. But that that's awesome, man. If you can learn to write through RPG writing and just becoming more terse, then you're going to be better at all writing, you know? So that's that's awesome. Yeah, I've, I've kind of really gone out of my way to like, you know, I've taken a couple of classes to where I, you know, where I'm just trying to learn a little bit and just be better about things. The goal is to write like Jacob Hurst, you know, that guy, uh, Viderac on uh, on Twitter. Swordfish um, Islands, guy. you guys, if you're wondering. Yeah, sort of, exactly, Hot Springs Island. Yeah, he's awesome. I, I love the way that he writes. I love his style of writing. Very evocative. Uh, yeah, and just he has a real economy of words. So I. I I'd really like to to write more in that vein. <clears throat> I'll, I'll get there, but yeah. Then you have guys like like Casey Christopherson. I love the way that guy writes. Like he, you know, he's another guy. He's not like you know, he's not like Jacob, where it's a real, like I said, a real economy of words, like Gavin with the bullet points. But he, what he writes is interesting and it's structurally very, very good. So I always pick up his adventures. I always read his stuff and I run run his stuff. He's David Baby, talk about someone who could use an economy of words. <laughs> <laughs> but I love his writing. I love the, that he kept, you know, his voice in yeah, Weird oh, Frontiers. Yeah, yeah. But anyone who has a 950-page RPG, probably... I think he would even tell you that it's tough to carry that to a con and run games. So <laughs> It's great if you want to murder somebody. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's great. It's... it's <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome though this is what the topic should have been man is working on your so when you take classes that you think is going to help teach you to write better ad adventures what is that technical writing or creative writing or something else it's, it's creative writing just okay. community college classes yeah okay all right yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, i end up writing stories about my son or you know writing stories about like a childhood you know something that happened to me when i was a kid or you know writing a story about the dump truck that just drove by but you know had something cool on the side of it these are all things i actually wrote <laughs> stories about or about my like to toys that I, I torched when i was a kid you know like just 
you end up writing bizarre stuff because that's the assignment. So, so, so when are these short stories going to get published from Planet X Games? <laughs> they will never. <laughs> these will never <laughs> see the light of day. Yeah. There's, uh, there's, there's one. There's one that got published. It's actually the first thing I that ever got published in mine. It got published in a, a magazine called Wondering Storm. It was called The Cost of Cool. It was about me torching my Star Wars figures because I, you know, I wanted to be cool with this friend of mine. But anyways, um, interesting. That was that. That's the only one. But, you know, those those things help. They they help. You know, again, when you talk about finding your voice and keeping your voice, they help. They mm-hmm. help you find it. So you know, maybe a little <laughs> slower for me than it is for other people, but that's my process. <laughs> the, the cost of cool, man. That's uh, I think a lot of people yeah. could definitely relate to that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I really, I you know, this guy was my friend, and I, he was he was cool. I was not. I desperately wanted to be cool. I was about uh, I don't know, eleven, twelve, something like that, right on the verge of like discovering like really cool music, but still being the kid who like kind of played with toys a little bit. And uh, you know, these Star Wars figures that had meant so much to me as a as a child, I carried them around everywhere in my little Darth Vader case. You know, we all had one. And we just won one day we just we just torched him and you know he went home you know thinking all right we'll see you later and here i am left with like you know hammerheads in the dirt with half of a melted head you know and i'm like what have i done you know it just taught me a lesson about kind of like rolling by myself and you know just not worrying about what other people necessarily think you know like having more more of a stake in myself but Man, we really got off topic on that. Like, <laughs> no, but that's awesome. Actually, I'm really fascinated by it because it's a, it's a really good. Also, I mean, some people would feel like it is a way the journey, right, of someone changing in age from one tier to another and feeling like they have to r- remove these talismans of a previous age to become the next age. But I think you realize you don't have to do that at all, really. But. <laughs> now but i mean you see that in a lot of other societies or different things where they tell you to burn things and maybe that's what your buddy was saying at the time but no he just didn't want to burn his toys (laughs) he wanted to blow mine up with firecrackers and you know know, so it was all the leftover fireworks from uh from the fourth of july so we're like let's get rid of these or hey we're gonna blow up your guys is that cool i'm like yes please be my friend (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah so it was nothing cool like what i was saying it was just this really sad story yeah Yeah. all right well my bad (laughs) that's something that i often do though i'll like find things of inside a story and then expound on it like oh yeah that makes a lot of sense what if it you know i was an english major that's why because that's that's what english majors do right they read books and then say like oh no this is really what it's about We did get far afield, sir. All right. So <laughs> let's. So one of the things that I found looking at your products that I have, which I think is almost all of them, and the ones I don't have, almost every time you tell me, hey, find something you don't have and take it. So <laughs> <laughs> super kind guy, everyone. If you've never met Levi, you should definitely go to the Independent Publishers Union booth. Is that what it's called, right? I do yeah, it? I mean, that's, that's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check that out. And what I, But what I found is that I really think that your products, there's one, this is part of the questions where I talk about sci-fi and fantasy, and I think a lot mm. of people have covered that, talking about that, you know, what do you, well, why don't you tell me, what do you feel about sci-fi and fantasy? Is it okay? Is it bad? I mean, do you have any thoughts on it? 
You mean like jamming the two together, a genre mash? Yeah. Oh, I love it. In, in uh, RPGs, I, I guess. Yeah. I, I 100%, 100% love it. Like, I, I get it Like when people don't like that in their games, but for me, I like all that stuff. Because, you know, what's that old quote about like uh, technology at a sufficient level is indistinguishable from magic? magic yeah. Same deal. I, I like I like it. I did, the Barrier Peaks was a, like a seminal, like super weird fantasy product for me back in the day. Like when I discovered that, I was like, this isn't exactly what I want, but it's kind of what I want. You know, there's enough in here to where I'm like, oh, like my mind is semi blown. Like I, re- I really like what's going on here. And then you get like Gamma World and you, know, you got MCC. And there was a, a great book, a great role playing game called uh, Castle Falkenstein. Do you remember yeah. this one? Right. Yeah, it was more of a kind of a steampunk thing, but mm-hmm. it was like a magic and technology sort of mixture. Then you got Eberron, and you know, I think, and especially like when you look at like the work of like Errol Otis, like you, he really there's a lot of that stuff in there, man. So and then you go all the way back to like Blackmore and stuff. So I think science fiction has a, a very firm foothold in fantasy, but again, and it always has. Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, it's not for everybody, and there are some people who don't like it, and that's fine. But for me, I love it. Okay, and I think you're that, better. <laughs> and that leads to what I was like really trying to maybe get a handle from your point of view is like, well, the first thing I ever read from you is phylactery. I've seen that you actually did things before that, but I was like, oh, I can see what this guy's doing. He's got kind of like, you've taken the gonzo level for old school gaming, because some people would say DCC is or it isn't, and that's really where the gonzo is. But now we're not just going to keep it in its own little category. We're actually going to just like take a big brush and swipe it across all of it. You're not, because you're doing... To me, your stuff is is definitely more Gonzo than Gabor Lux or Greg Gillespie or even like Skeeter. Well, although he has a science fantasy wizard, crypto wizard, so I guess that's not a good one. But <laughs> what like is that where your inspiration from? Do you feel like that's always been there, or do you think that you've upped that to eleven? Or where do you stand in the OSR? I guess we'll try to. We'll try to narrow the sandbox a little bit on yeah, this discussion. Absolutely. So when it comes to the, like the term Gonzo, like maybe I'm seeing it differently than everybody else. Like, but I don't consider like Greg Gillespie to be Gonzo at all. Like, He's I not. Him to be, That's what I'm yeah, saying. I, yeah, I, I, but I your saying, stuff like, is. Um, that's what I'm asking is like, how do you feel? Do you feel like your stuff is way more gonzo than his? And do you think that changes things? Or do you think it all, everyone should write like that? Or does everyone have a place? Oh, or? no, everybody should write the way they, that they want to write. Like they should, the most important thing I think with any like product that you're going to sell for money, that you're not just putting out for free, is that it's genuine. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't even have to like look good, but as long as it's genuine, that's all, that's really the most important thing that matters. Like, is this something that you would want to play? You know, if you, are you willing to sit down and, and give out four to six hours of your time for something that you wrote? You know, this it, it, does it stimulate you in that way? But when I think of Gonzo, I think of like I I, I don't even necessarily think of my my stuff as Gonzo. I think more of it as weird fantasy, like more along uh, the lines of like like Moorcock or like the weirder Howard stories or especially like Robert uh, Rogers Lasney, who was a huge influence on me as a as a teenager. There was a, you know, like the old Amber books. There was a lot of really crazy concepts in, in, in mm-hmm. those books. But when I think of Gonzo, I think of like, I think of like Funhouse Dungeons. Like, like uh, what is it? Teagle Manor? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, exactly. But it's more of a kind of a ghostly. Castle you know. Zagig? 
I was thinking more along the lines of like White Plume Mountain is okay. very gone. So that's because there's a lot of stuff going on there that makes zero sense. Mm-hmm. You know, in general, we love it because it's a classic and it's super fun. It has those crazy three artifacts in it. You know, it's a, it's all a ton of fun to play, but it's a real like out there adventure. You know, as far as like, <laughs> you know, you know like, pretty crazy. There's you know that. I mean, without getting into specifics, like there are encounters in there that make this much sense but it's still so much fun to play so that's a good question did anyone ever solve why in the heck they're that giant like aquarium places in i was just thinking about that like what is that like why is there like a there's there's an ogre magi and he's just hanging out with this cool weapon you know i I don't know it's it's really really weird okay um we gotta do this whole dungeon we'll we'll both go on there and do white plume mountain with them man let's go All right. Does that yeah, but, but like, like another example of a go- like something I consider Gonzo is what's that guy's name? The the guy who did Chult. Yeah, that that yeah, Chult. Yeah, that's him. Like that's a pretty like Gonzo. I mean, that's you know, there's all kinds of pop culture references, and one thing doesn't make sense to the next, but he's got his own little thing going on in there, and it's it's whatever. But like that that's what i consider gonzo like my stuff i I really really consider more weird fantasy like the dcc also very weird fantasy yes Um, so dcc you do agree is gonzo i agree that it's weird fantasy oh oh, no you're saying it's weird fantasy but not gonzo all right i like that some 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 of it i guess could be considered gonzo but especially like if you go play like one of kovacs's games like well that's not even really dcc that's just no no i'm just saying it's Inferno Road alone is just so insane, but 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 is you call it Gonzo, but it, it is pure fun. You oh, know, yeah, you're not yeah. going to get the, you're not going to get that experience anywhere else. No, no. That dude is a one of a kind American original, and there's nobody else like him. Yeah, he is Good firing thing. all levels, all Good cylinders. Thing. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I love Doug. Don't, don't get me wrong. He's just firing, firing all cylinders and is 100 genuine at all times. Yeah, what you see is what you get. That's that is for sure. All right, so like I mentioned to you, we were going to take this to a, a slightly different place that's completely different than that. I feel like you covered it. And I really like this distinction that you're talking about, weird fantasy versus gonzo. And maybe maybe we'll try and push that through into the scene and beyond. So thank you for that. So I'd mentioned to you that I found this page that was talking about your Kickstarters. And well, why don't we kick oh, yeah. it off by you telling me about... you? We, Sister Sarah's finish up, right? Three curses. But you got another one that's going to hit the scene. So hit, hit us with the boilerplate on your new product that's going to kickstart. Well, my, my idea was this, this this year, my goal was to do six Kickstarters or at least six products. You know, it ended up being five five Kickstarters and six products because one of them had two, two, two things in it. But so closing out December, again, the worst month ever to run a Kickstarter, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've Jeff Seifert and I have converted the second module I ever had, which is an occurrence at Howling Crater. Now, if I had been a DCC or MCC player when I wrote that, I would have written it for DCC and MCC because it is 1000% in that sort of vein of extreme weird fantasy. There's a lot of genre mashing going on there. It's like the, the, the tagline that I've been using for years to describe it is it's like if the hills have eyes, had a baby with plan nine from outer space and then they let the baby do like crack in a spaceship what? that is the adventure you get when you get an occurrence in Helen crater it is 
it really goes off the rails in some in, in some places. And if you if I had one product that that was actually Gonzo, it would be that one. Um, it is well. So boilerplate description. Yeah, I mean, you have it's it's a it's an expanded hex crawl along with a, an adventure that takes you into this irradiated howling. Sorry, this irradiated blasted crater where this depraved family of you know a cannibal mutant folk live. And then you have an abrupt turn in the middle of the adventure where all of a sudden you're in the interior of a crashed spaceship, which this is my ode to the King of Gonzo Adventures, Barrier Peaks. So I got to do a lot of fun things on this one. There's a lot of great imagery. There's some cool locations, fantastic NPCs, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, and then some really cool items. And Because, you know, it's hard to do some of those, those genre masters without everybody loading up on, like, rifles and jetpacks and stuff so i found a kind of a neat little workaround of, of that that doesn't rob the players of, of having cool things or, or really limit them but at the same time they're not just you know it, it, they don't they don't ditch all their old stuff to just you know run around playing buck rogers so um it's it's my favorite thing still that i've ever written it's the, the one that i had really? the most fun writing. yeah i you know like when you talk about it, I feel like I must have heard of the original that you did, because when you were mentioned to me before, I was like, it sounded kind of familiar. So I must have saw something about it when it, I did not get it when it first came out. That's for sure. And what was that written for originally? So uh, when I was writing it, I actually, I actually wrote it's a crazy story. I actually wrote it for a third edition. Just because I didn't have very much experience with fifth edition, but I had a um, a guy that converted it for me. We we sat down and had several you know several face to face meetings where we were just like I'm like I don't really understand the new rules as well as I should, but I want to make sure that like these traps live up to you know what they should be and the the monster tactics live up to what they should be and that this is very playable under the five E rules. So there's a lot of talk about that, but yeah, written in third, converted to fifth. But again, had I been a DCC player, then it would have a hundred percent been a DCC slash MCC adventure. So it is, how much has it changed with your conversions with Jeff? Yeah. So, so I, I did a conversion once before with my first module, which was jungle Tomb of the mummy bride. The original came in at 64 pages and that was with like 12 or 15 pages of, of five E stats, which are, you know, just a five E stat is, you know, almost can, can be sometimes be half a page, mm-hmm. uh, the DCC stat is a paragraph, you know? So, if when you compare 64 pages to the DCC version, which I think is 146 pages, uh, it's, there's a lot of new material in there. There's al- al- almost one and a half more times of stuff that you know, that's put in there. Because I had other writers come on. I had Diogo Nogueira came on and did did an adventure. Skeeter Green, Casey Christopherson, Daniel Bishop, all these guys contributed, and then we did a new cover. Jeff did all the patrons, all the all the you know the deities and. We did some new spells. We added in new magic items, and then I added in flavor text for every every encounter. You know, because that's the DCC way. They have a little block of flavor text mm-hmm. there. You know, so I've done the same thing with Howling Crater. Now, there's some stuff in the in the first adventure that, looking back on, I'm like, oh, I'm not necessarily that. I, I could have done better. So I re- replaced certain encounters. I did things a little bit differently, um, but everything is geared towards the DCC aesthetic. It's geared towards mighty deeds and you know spellburn and all the cool little things that you can get your characters to do. There's opportunities built into this new adventure for people to exploit those things and have a really good time doing it. Do you have a spell yeah. duel? 
Yeah, well, like a really big inspiration before I started doing DCC and MCC conversions with Jeff was the Goodman How to Write Adventures That Don't Suck. Yeah. I don't know. Anybody who's writing writing adventures should have that book because Joe Goodman's entry, his, his, his chapter, is one of the best things I've ever read for how to what to do and what not to do for for creating adventures it's super, like great information like this is what he looks for this is what he what turns him off what turns him on you know this is the good stuff this is the bad stuff and he's very specific that's so. interesting i don't even know if i ever got to joe's i got turned off by the all of the other bad authors he had in there like harley <laughs> stroh and michael curtis was, and oh you know those guys are just terrible those they're guys just, are terrible <laughs> and so i just couldn't understand anything they were saying and so i just couldn't finish the book i just put it away I don't Get out of here. <laughs> on my shelf somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing about that book. Like, it is just a murderer's row of fantastic uh, you know, authors and creators. You've uh-huh. got you know Brendan and Harley and Michael, but then you got you know guys who aren't even in the Goodman. You know, they're not even in the Goodman circle writing stuff. You're like, yep. like Casey Christopherson has a has a whole chapter, and I think it's about villains. So. Um, you get a real like spread of talent. Like it's a, it's a really good book to have. I don't know if it's still in print, but if it is and you see it and you don't already have it, that's one to grab. Don't steal that from their booth. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So we are getting close to time, but I really wanted to mention and talk to you a little bit about Kickstarters because, all right. So you're saying that you did, the first one was Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride, and it looks like this was 2018 in September. And you got 288% funded. So I'm looking at this website. It's called Tabletop Analytics. And I mentioned this to Levi when I, we first started talking earlier tonight, and he did not know anything about it. So this was the first thing you ever published, and you immediately just went to Kickstarter? Like, I mean, how, where did you take the jump from, hey, I'm running these cool-ass games in my basement, in my mom's basement, for all I know, to I'm going to kickstart something, and my first Kickstarter is going to be successful, and it's going to fund for $6,300, and 260 people are going to buy it. Where'd that jump come from? Yeah, no, a couple of places. The first one was was my friend Casey Christopherson. Again, I mentioned him a couple of times already. Um you know, he, he already had a, a deep foothold in the business. He had like, at that time he had like 80 plus titles that he'd worked on. He'd worked with Frog God, Necromancer and the Trolls and you know, all, all kinds of folks across a wide variety of games. So he was like the one guy I knew that was like actively working in the hobby. So I reached out to him and I was like, well, do you think maybe like Frog God would want to buy this? You know, how, how would I do that? Like, who would I meet? And he said, well, the first thing you want to do is come to cons, meet everybody. You know, there's one that's not far from you. Just come to North Texas. It won't be a big deal. But then he's like, you know, you're wanting to sell this to somebody else. He's like, what's keeping you from just doing it yourself? I'm like, well, money. You know, like, I don't have, he says, well, why don't you just use Kickstarter? And my best friend and his wife, they, they had run a couple Kickstarters beforehand that, you know, for, 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 for a book and some, some other stuff. And uh, they, you know, they really seem to have a grasp on it. So I, I called up my my best friend and talked to talked to his wife, and she gave me some really really good information on on Kickstarter. So those two sources kind of helped me get my feet wet. And then I had like um, you know Casey on the side going like, all right, don't freak out. 
don't, you know, this is what you need to do. I'll help. I'll help you. I'll look at your, your stuff and help you get it into fighting shape. And like, it's going to be okay. Like, don't look at your Kickstarter every single day. Like I'll, I'll help you promote it. You know, we'll talk about it. So that was the start and it did way better than I, I ever hoped or thought that it would do. I mean, I was like $6,000 or something. Yeah. $6,300. And then no, that's the thing is I didn't even know anybody. I, I knew Casey. Yeah. And through Casey, he, he put me into contact with Matt Finch. He said, Hey, Matt's got some stuff that he can share with you. And Matt was very giving with his time for especially for somebody that he didn't know and had never met. Jeff Telanian was another guy Casey put me in contact with. He gave me fantastic advice. And just, you know, Zach Lazier and a couple other folks gave me really solid advice that all of it panned out. So So let me let me share with people a little bit about yeah the hobby is fantastic and these people that say that all those people are really considered mostly OSR type people right or old school gamers any at least and so to say that it's only occupied by all these bad actors or something is just completely ridiculous we won't even get into that so so your first one was in 2018 09 288% funded your next one was your the first version of Howling Crater, Occurrence at Howling Crater, and that was slightly less, 214 backers. Same goal, $5,700. Now we jump up with the first issue of Phylactery. This is the first thing I got of 1,107% funded. And this was February of 2020. So three months, four months maybe after you finished with the duration, the 31 days of occurrence at Howling Crater, you do the the zine, which only had a five, well, it only had a $500 goal versus the $2,200 goal, but you made the same amount of money basically on it. Was that, a, well, I mean, obviously it costs less per average pledge because there were 600 backers versus 200 backers. Was that the first zine quest? Is that why? Is that the whole different process and thought there? It was, it was Zine Quest 2. I, I, I wasn't around for Zine Quest 1. I just didn't know about it. But for Zine Quest 2, that was that was my offering. Um, and I, I approached the, that, that first issue of the Flattery as an advertisement. Like I was like, okay, well, I've got these two adventures out here, and a couple hundred people bought them. But like, I need to like show like what, what do I like? Like, what do I think is like a genuine sort of thing? Like, what would I what would I, what do I want to put out in the world? So I created the Flactory and wrote it. Got some great artists to to collaborate with: Ed Bickford, Adrian Landeros, Jay Shields, and um, it was. An, I, I didn't make it, on that initial Kickstarter. I didn't make any. I didn't really make any money. Like I dumped it all in the art. And then you know, processing, but and the, the price point was super low. It was ten bucks yeah. for forty-eight pages. It's it's a beautiful heavy zine. It's you know it's nice. Um, this is it, right? Isn't this number one right here? Yeah, yeah. So those of you at home, sorry guys who aren't. This is number one right here. Yeah, this is like my first experience of stuff that you had done. So sorry, go ahead. No, and, and it was you know it's it's all OSR, so it was really near and dear to my heart because that's you know, that's my favorite kind of gaming to do. So. But again, I didn't make any money on it. It was just an advertisement to say, hey, like, this is the kind of cool stuff I like. Let me find my people. <laughs> That's all. And then you took all the money to, that you got to put it back into the next project? Or no, this was a whole new, that was all just taken care of for, to pay for the phylactery? Or did you yeah, use I mean, it to after, pay for the next I mean, one? Advertising and art and cover and, you know, paying for a graphic designer and, you know, all this different stuff. Um, I, I didn't have much money left over from the initial campaign. 
I got a lot of copies printed, you know, which was, which was in hindsight was very good <clears throat> because it really caught on later. Like it caught on, I think we're in like a third or fourth printing now. So like that, that's an issue that's, it's real tight as far as like content. There's some, some really good OSR content in there that I, I think at least some fun stuff. And it really gives that kind of a, it's a sampler platter of like stuff that I like and stuff that I want to write about. So is there a way to, to see which one is what, what is what printing? So if you have two of them there is if, if one of them has a, has like a, is, is like a, like a thinner cover, like a yeah. lighter cover. Yeah. That's the first printing. Okay. So is this worth more money in the aftermarket? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of it is worth any money at all. <laughs> oh, all right. There's so there's no collectible market. Yeah. So three months later, you did a kick. The next Kickstarter was for Escape from Skullcano Island, right? So this one, it's barely been. It's not even been a just over like a year and a half, maybe, from your very first Kickstarter. This Kickstarter did sixteen thousand dollars, and it had more not as many backers as phylactery had but still i mean your goal was a thousand it was doubled but the amount of money you made was three times as much 300 percent higher do you think this was because it was for 5e as opposed to other things or what what do you think kind of went into the success for that there's a couple different things i think that worked in its favor one 5e of course two that it's about kaiju and back in during that time, like the Godzilla movies that were coming out, there's a lot of hype around those. Mm -hmm. And then as Godzilla and versus Kong was building, there was a lot of hype around those. Um, so I think that that great that whole hype around the you know those kaiju movies, Pacific Rim, all that kind of stuff. That was that was all still very much in like the pop culture zeitgeist. So I think that really helped it. The success on the previous three helped retain like like people who had bought the first stuff. But then, you know, I've got, I, I had had, a, like, I dipped my toe in the, in the industry enough to where, like, I say the industry, I mean the hobby. Like, there's not really an industry. That's, like I said, more of a hobby. Um, I dipped my toe in it enough to where, like, okay, like, this guy's going to deliver. Like, he's, he's going to deliver his products, just, you know. And then when I, when I finalized it, it made so much more money than I thought it was going to make. Instead of just doing a soft cover, I went ahead and paid out of pocket for a hard cover for everybody. So it wasn't originally supposed to be a hard cover. And then, you know, now it is. People, people got a hard cover instead of a soft cover. You know, and who's going to complain about that? So, yeah. you know, I added a ton more art, you know, I, I, just, just successful. So, so you put um, it back into the business that actually help people feel like they're going to get even greater value in the future, really, right? Well, so, yeah. I mean, that's you know, that's the idea. <laughs> you know, you, you want to keep putting out good products so people keep supporting, you know, this my crazy little tiny <laughs> indie press company. You know, like people have limited resources; they can only support so much. You know, now there's more than ever. So, so I'm fascinated by these numbers. I don't know if anybody else is, but I'm going to go. So next was I skipped over something, but you did the glimmering crypt of the Ion King, which was also a five E which was 750 goal for $7,824. So a thousand percent, which interesting. I don't, I, I think you still run this at, at cons. I think I saw that you ran that this year at a con. Um, I did. Magic and shit was a 500 goal and it made $10,000 with 716 backers, which seems like a pretty good success to me. Yep. Uh, I agree. Phylactery three was 11,000 
with 615 backers. So, and then like Jungle, your reprint of the Jungle Tomb for DCC and 5e was $22,000, but it was a $2,000 goal. So, right. still another thousand percent. So, what do you like? Ray guns and robots. So I'm just kind of going over all the stuff that Levi has. And he has these all at cons that you can buy. And you can buy these Exalted Funeral. You can do all this. So in the end, I mean, I, I mean, which of these do you feel like was your greatest success? Or I mean, was like, how do you feel like, was there one that you wish you'd done different? Obviously, you're going to go back and do the other one to see if you can have the success you had with the reprint of uh, Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride. That would be pretty flipping awesome. So everyone listening, go buy that as soon as the chaos comes out. But like, what do you think is the best that uh, that you did? Or just comment well, on I have, my, I have my favorite and then what I think is like technically the best. Uh, again, my, the, my favorite thing I've ever written is, is in occurrence at Howling Crater, that, mm-hmm. that second one, which is getting the reboot for DCC and MCC in December. But like technically the best, I think the first phylactery is like a really tight little supplement. Like it's a, you know, it's still a little bit raw, but the content, like the content and the art, like, you know, Ed Bickford did a lot of art for that. And Adrian Landeros, he nailed some pieces in there. And then, you know, there's some new things in there as well. Like, you know, that's, that's, I think that was the first issue where we started putting in the, um, the fake ads. Like there's in a lot of our books in the last couple of years, there's these, you know, fake ads and more of those are coming. They're, they're a lot of fun. And then you've got the save versus disbelief in the, in the back of that, which is like a, like a Ripley's believe it or not, but for, you know, <laughs> weird fantasy. You know, so, <laughs> Uh, those are great and I just really enjoyed doing that one because there's a lot of ideas in there that came from my home campaign over the years and that just I think that are really good pieces for for OSR gaming and each one you know contains four new monsters each one contains an adventure some of them contain hex crawls in addition to adventures you've got NPCs you've got magic items you've got you know all kinds of stuff so it's it's they're a lot of fun I think best adventure Best adventure. The one people really seem to enjoy dungeon wise is Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride, especially with that the expanded material in the DCC version. I've gotten a lot of a lot of people a lot of really good comments from from players and and judges alike on that one. So yeah, those are just the, that's just the DCC community. They're all nice. That's why they're so <laughs> so supportive. As long as they know they as long as they know that you're not calling it in and you're not faking it. As long as, it, as long as everybody's on the same page, they're super supportive. Like you cannot get a better fan base for RPGs right now. DCC no. is DCC is where it's at. I mean, I agree. I agree completely. I've always been a huge fan of that community. So just to wrap up this Kickstarter aspect, and maybe maybe we'll get some more information from Levi on like how he did it or what is fifteen Kickstarters for one hundred and fifty five thousand dollars. So. Seems like a really big success. I don't know. Bill always seems to think like Pace Setter is a really big and you're small, but it seems like a pretty good, that seems pretty successful to me, Levi. So good work on that, man. <laughs> it's just, I'm just, you know, listen, it's just, it's, it's me, uh, a couple of, of artists who have been around since day one, and a really passionate graphic designer, a layout person who is very reliable. That's that's the team, you know. So which we we uh, treat each other very well. We you know try to share the share the love and spread it around. And 
you know, we are a small company, but you know, that that's okay. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, success is success. And I think any way that you are going to measure that, you've definitely been successful. So that's fantastic. I'm here for, look, I'm here for the, uh, the games, man. Like, oh, I, no, I don't I'm, doubt I'm, that yet. Here for the, the, the hang and, you know, the games. And I'm definitely not here for a dick measuring contest. No, <laughs> you know, like, no, no. And I mean, like we all say, I mean, if you want to make a hundred, you know, tens of dollars, be in the gaming industry. So there are people who are, <laughs> there are, there are folks who are much more successful at this than, than I am. And, uh, I am very happy for them because it's all it's it really is all of our dreams to be able to pay the bills of this stuff and do what we love you know so yeah but you're um, not paying the bills you have another yeah, job a real job still so yeah, but it, it's you know it, it pays it, it pays some of the bills you know? yeah yeah well that's good not, not man. yeah some of i would not hold it against you some guys i don't feel like i'm not naming any names or i don't even know if i have anyone in particular that are not probably shouldn't be selling their stuff but your stuff is quality and it's like it's artistic and it's fun and it's a from a good guy. So I would definitely say anyone should go and and buy your stuff. Well, that's a team effort, a hundred, a thousand percent. That's not just me. There's a lot of people behind the scenes, especially <laughs> artists, artists and layout, uh, who are really really cranking out some good stuff. So. Yeah, and you do it fast, and like you say, you're very rarely behind. And if you are, it's because of printing. And these days, it's really behind with most people so you're doing a really good job there too all right so oh, i got one you. last very specific question for you Ooh, so you right. can choose this is either your legacy or it could be your epitaph in the old school scene what what would your legacy be or if you'd rather like what would you want your epitaph to be an epitaph would just if it was my my headstone it would just be a, a hamburger i think maybe a taco <laughs> you be, can't take taco that's alex cameras <laughs> oh, <No. laughs> or taco no, john i guess sorry yeah, yeah or taco john legacy I, I don't know man i just i don't really think about it but i think maybe if i had to it would just be that i made genuine stuff that i wasn't just cranking stuff out for money that it was always genuine and there was it was always something that i would have wanted to play like if i if i walked into a game store having never published anything and i saw one of my things on the on the wall and i pulled it down page two i'd be like oh i'm buying this because this is cool you know that's that's that that would be it that's legitimate hey i'm not going to ask like questions that aren't going to make you think hopefully yeah hopefully I, that's what i'm that's what we're here for i want you to think so i appreciate that heartfelt answer all right so I got to wrap this up a little bit. So let's say some appreciation and shout out to the patrons. Today we're going to do Jay Murphy. Jay has a new book for Ultimate System Rules USR. So go check that out. You can find him at Vanishing Tower Press. I don't know why I'm like giving these guys. These guys are actually patrons of mine on Patreon, but I guess I'm also going to give them some shout outs to their products. Kevin Madison is the Dungeon Muser who does a, a really fun actual plays on his channel dungeon muser and then john clements is another patron he's newer and he plays in my kalmata game sometimes so you guys and all of you guys on patreon thank you so much for patronizing us at hobbs and friends and the gamerhood if you want to be a patron like levi it's all right man i don't mind i'm just kidding buddy <laughs> it's www.patreon.com osrn hobbs if you want to contact me 
Uh, I am on the Twitters for now. I guess some people are bailing, but I haven't yet. I haven't even seen a reason to, to be honest, but at OSRN Hobbs. You can find me on YouTube at Jason Hobbs and Twitch at Hobbs665. Uh, and the Gamerhood Discord. I have my own Discord and love to uh, have you on the server and get involved in some conversations. So, Levi, if anyone wanted to ask out your mummy bride, how would they, how would they get in touch with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my Instagram page is it came from beyond Planet X. And Twitter is PlanetXGamesCO. Facebook is just Planet X Games. And then you can find all my stuff over at Exalted Funeral. Or if you, listen, if you see me at a con, Please come over. I have endless high fives, and I definitely want to meet you. Nola Bird, if you're still in the chat, we have got to sit down, and we I've, I've got I have so many things I want to I want to ask you, just based on your your posts on Twitter. So if you're still in the chat, please let's do that next time. And we like that sounds great. You got any last words before we sign this off, brother? No, <laughs> I, I don't. I'm, I mean, last words. I mean, I don't know. You don't have to. I like to surprise no, people. That not really. All right. No. All right. Stay alive. You got a job to do, everybody. And uh, hopefully we'll get some more Hobbs and Friends out soon. Levi, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun, man. All right. Hit the music. It's a beautiful day in the game. Oh, a beautiful day for my gamers. Would you be one? Could you be one? Sound of that thunder, but don't despair. This colony's breeding great robbers. Would you be one? Could you be one? If the native percent mortality rate works for you, for a few bucks a month, you can sign up and have the hogs kill you. So let's make the most of another someday Brew up some coffee and play it my way Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my gamers? Won't you be? Won't you please? Please won't you be my gamers? The views, information, or opinions expressed by those interviewed during the Hobbs & Friends podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Hobbs & Friends and its staff. Hobbs & Friends is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series, available for listening on any platform of delivery. The primary the purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform its listeners about the tabletop gaming industry. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising which is incorporated into or placed in association with or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the express approval and knowledge of the Hobbs & Friends podcast creator is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast. The developers of the Hobbs & Friends podcast site assume no liability for any activities in the connection with this podcast or for the use of this podcast in connection with any other website, computer, or playing device.